over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. Our third hour here every Saturday morning, 10 o'clock hour, our open home hour. Anything you want to talk about your home, castle, or cabin, open to you, the Arizona homeowner, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Email, if you'd like to send a picture, you can send that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. And generally speaking, we do uh, give a text number, but they must be on the same server that the Kitchen and Bath uh, Expo was on, because it, it's at a huge time delay. We were getting ready to start this trivia question over from the 8 o'clock hour, but during the top of the hour news, a flood of texts just came in all trying to answer that question. It was kind of an impromptu uh, giveaway we did in our Talking Trees hour at eight, uh, ending our 8 o'clock hour. And I'll go ahead and give the answer now because all of these uh, text participants finally hit, uh, hit our screen. But it was, which tree is so old that it's credited to calibrating and providing accuracy of carbon dating method for determining the age of living organisms? And it was a multiple-choice question between Bristol Cone Pine, Live Oaks, Coast Redwoods, and Bonsai Tree. And the correct answer was A. It was the Bristol Cone Pine. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> you thought it was going to be the Redwood? I was waiting for Redwood. And I said, oh, well, you got me. That's what I would have thought, too. The Redwood? Mm-hmm. Gary had me just... convinced in here. Oh, did he? <laughs> well, I, I, testing myself yesterday, I did get the pine right just because... I do know there's a lot of pines in the uh, Midwest region. Or I'm sorry, the, the Middle East region. But let's get to our Before calls. Before we head to the phones, you guys, can we? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, we know who's in charge here right now. Miss <laughs> well, Carol. Well, I have coined this little section that I do, Carol's follow-up corner. Because, okay. right. as you know, I've taken over the info inbox. And every time you mention the name of a book, the name of a company. I had a guy last week talk about the internship that you were talking about yes. with, with the Arizona. Yeah. What was the name of that? General Contractor Association. Absolutely. And Any, the big heavy equipment right. internship. <laughs> Anytime you give out a name, people ask me all week, what was he talking about? For Wasn't that a nice letter about the book? That was such a nice letter. That was such a nice letter. Someone actually knew the author. That was great. But anyway, what have you got this week? So this homeowner said, recently you discussed water and sewer line insurance. The mail order companies did not fare well. However, you mentioned someone who had acquired such insurance via a rider on their homeowner's policy. My insurance company does not offer such a rider. Can you tell me the company your contact referred you to? Oh, easy. This came by email from a Mr. John in so Sun City. So you'd be able to respond to him directly. But uh, for any homeowner's insurance policy at all, I would just send them to our good friend, Rosie Certified Focus Insurance Group. I'll have them talk to the team there. Absolutely. And Clay was on with us a few weeks ago. That's and right. He shared some really valuable information. You can go back and listen to that on our website under Homeowner Resource. Why we don't like home warranty programs because you, because you can add riders for your water heater, your air conditioner, your kitchen appliances and everything through your homeowner's insurance. And then if you ever have to activate a claim, you get to pick who does the repair, not some home warranty company that may or may not have your best interest at heart. And just to follow up with that, it seems counterintuitive because when you hear warranty, you feel safe. You know, everything's taken care of. I don't need to worry about this ever again, but it's good to know if it sounds too good to be true, maybe because it is. 
Can be. Absolutely. All righty. I have a Mr. Dave in Scottsdale. Okay. Here we go. Okay. I have a sunken in living room area. Who can you recommend to fill it in? I've had estimates ranging between thousands of dollars. The latter to me was outrageous. I live in Scottsdale. I have a two-story home with a two-and-a-half bath and four bedrooms. I will soon need to replace my water heater. What are the pros and cons for buying a tankless water heater? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I have to run water for a long time to get hot water to the kitchen. I look forward to your advice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, Mr. Dave. Um, you can get estimates for a sunken living room in Scottsdale filled, probably starting at about 1500 bucks. I can tell you a couple things about that quote. It won't be done right. It won't be done to code. And all they're doing is dumping a bunch of concrete in a hole and leveling it off. To truly do this per code, you need to raise all the electrical receptacles. You need to get any furring strips, wood, drywall, or baseboard that will be below floor level cut, removed, and raised above the new floor level. Then we always encourage people to drill that sunken living room and hit it with a big dose of termite treatment. Then you pour the concrete. We like that concrete to be fairly stiff. We like it to be at about a, not much more than about a three or four inch slump. We like it to be at 4,000 PSI. We pour it, we finish it. It will create a huge human environment inside your house as it hydrates because the water has no place to go. It can't leak down through the other concrete slab. All the water must come up through the surface. A dehumidifier in the room for a couple days might be a good idea. Let it cure, and then you're all set. Then you have to have the electrical receptacles raised to the appropriate level, replace the insulation, the furring strips, the sheetrock, the paint, the baseboard, and the floor covering. We tell people in filling a sunken living room, done per code, not counting the finished floor covering, you're going to spend about $30 a square foot. Now, as far as the water heater, that's another old question. Do I like tankless water heaters? I love them. Just know that most tankless water heater companies do request and or require for their warranty to be honored that you have a water treatment system in front of that tankless water heater. That would be a water softener. So if you don't have a water softener and you're going to convert from a traditional tank tank to a tankless tank, you've got the cost of the tank. Any modification to the gas line, the electric line, the plumbing lines, and the cost of a water softener. So it tends to be, if you're not currently water softened, a fairly expensive proposition. And for the layman's perspective, tankless versus non-tankless, what exactly does that mean? Well, you've got the conventional water heater, uh, traditional, that's a 40, 50, 80 gallon that heats up the water and it sits there warmed inside your house or outside in the garage or on the back patio. And it just keeps that much water hot all the time, all the time, whether you need it or not. A tankless, as soon as you turn the hot water tap on, boom, it fires up and you get instant hot water. You're never storing hot water. So it's, uh, it saves you some money on your utilities. Uh, with a water softener installed correctly, they do tend to last longer than a traditional water, and they'll never cause you a leak or a flood like an 80-gallon tank stored in the laundry room that depends decides to go out after 10 or 12 years, rust out all the water. I think you remember that the night before your wedding. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. How can, how can a girl forget? 
Um, speaking of saving money on utilities, I had a really sweet letter from a Miss Marilyn saying that you've saved her over $80 a month in her utility bill because of super cooling. And we've talked about a little bit all the amount of people coming into Arizona. I know you probably feel like it's a tired topic, but people are asking me about it all the time. If you had to give a two-minute, three-minute elevator pitch about what supercooling is for our new Arizona residents, what would that look like? The industry, the electric grid industry, is all switching to impact how you buy electricity for the purpose of overall conservation. So what they're doing is saying, look, in the middle of the summer, when everyone wants their air conditioning running full speed between 3 o'clock and 8 o'clock, as an example, we're going to charge more money for electricity to encourage people to set their thermostats a little bit higher and reduce the demand. The utility companies must build generation plants based on the peak load they have to satisfy, plus a buffer margin. So what we tell people, if your house is reasonably well insulated, has good windows, and is shaded strategically, go to a time-of-day purchase plan, and at 8.30, set your thermostat as cold as you can stand it in the middle of the summer. At my house, which is about 2,500 square feet, I take my thermostat in the middle of the summer to 68 degrees at 830. We're the only house in Arizona where in the middle of August, everyone inside is wearing sweaters. And we're not. We're not hoodies. anymore. Now there are thousands of people doing this and we're saving. We're, that is the greenest thing you can do for the, for the environment and for the globe and the world and the community because you're not having to build that next nuclear power plant or build another dam for another hydroelectric plant. If we can all curb our peak, my house sleeps from 3 o'clock to 8 o'clock with virtually zero electricity consumption. So I buy 90 to 95% of my electricity off peak. That saves me a ton of money. That's exactly what she's talking about. Set the therm. If you can't, if you don't like 68, that's fine. Set it to 72 or 74. But between 3 and 8 or between whichever peak plan your utility company has, set it high. I let my house get to as hot as 78 or 80 degrees. And my air conditioners never come on, ever, on peak. So you're buy you should be able to buy your electricity for about 10 or 11 cents a kilowatt. And baby, it doesn't get any cheaper than that. It doesn't. And she even says here she had Steve from Advanced Home Systems come out and help her implement a timer and implement this practice. And she said, what a kind and helpful guy. I'm so appreciative of both his and your help. So a huge hug to Rosie on the house and Steve from Advanced Home System. My budget is tight and I'm just so appreciative. I wonder what she does with the 80 bucks. I wonder what she does with the 80 bucks. And you know what? It mentions that letter specifically mentions Steve Kep. And I, I am given the credit for inventing super cooling. And I didn't. Steve Kep taught me super cooling and it has saved me tens of thousands of dollars over the last 50 tens of thousands of dollars over the last my 2500 square foot home kept at 70 degrees through the middle of the summer my bills are never over 260 270 bucks what are you doing with the savings 
Uh, I've I've mostly been paying college tuitions and weddings the last the last twenty years. <laughs> but You're pretty welcome. soon it's going to be a new Mustang. <laughs> And welcome back to Rosie on the House. We appreciate y'all tuning in as we try and give you information that you need about your Arizona home. And the question of the week at Rosie on the House this week was, what about backyard sheds? (laughs) I guess in January, which was the get organized month of the year, we had Bridges Connor in talking about getting organized. Apparently, some of you have taken us at our word and taken our advice and kind of gotten some things cleaned up and realize there's things that don't necessarily have to be in the living room or the family room and can be stored seasonally or whatever. Maybe maybe the missus of the house wants a little she shed in the backyard. Maybe you need a little extra storage room for your yard tools. So backyard buildings drove the number one most asked question at Rose on the House this past week. So I knew a friend of a friend that uh, put me in touch with the chief building inspector in the city of Scottsdale, which is where we do most of our remodeling work. Uh, And I talked to Mr. Steve Gallant, and I said, okay, Steve, we've got people asking us constantly about backyard structures. Boy, backyard casitas, mother-in-law suites. What what, what can you tell me about that? So he says, Rosie, the, the, the first thing everybody needs to know is if the building is under 200 square feet and it has no electricity and no plumbing, it does not need a permit. So if you're just going to drop a 10 by 20 storage shed in the backyard, you don't need a permit. But you must comply with zoning and, and, and obey the rules about setback lines you can't put that right up against your neighbor's side yard. You can't put it right up against the backyard. And you can't let the roof of that shed drain onto your neighbor's property. He says, Rosie, the biggest mistake people make is they hear that one rule under 200 square feet. And they just assume, hey, baby, it's under 200 square feet. I can do anything I want. And that's not the case. Under 200 square foot, no electricity, no plumbing storage only, boom, you can get it and set it. And I said, well, I know people that do that permanently, like with footings and 8816 masonry block. He says, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the material. If it's under 200 square feet, no electricity, no plumbing, it doesn't need a permit. So you can get one of the pre-manufactured sheds delivered, assembled and built in the backyard, or you can build one yourself. Now, there's a couple things, a couple little tricks here that really will help you a lot. You can go to the county assessor's webpage and plug in your address. When you do that, hit search, it will give you a map of your lot, and it will actually give you the dimensions of each one of your lot lines. On that webpage, there is a tab called Sketches. You Click on that, and it will actually give you a sketch of your house that you can cut and paste and transfer it to your lot plan. And take a couple of dimensions of how far is that garage wall from the side 
yard line. How, how far is the front door off the front sidewalk? And you can pretty well place your house on your lot. Then there's a drawing tool where you can actually set up the setbacks. Two foot here, 10 foot there, 40 foot there. Do a little search, building and zoning. Find out your zoning, what your setbacks are. And then you can actually draw on the web page a plan of your lot with your house, with your setbacks on it, and print it, and you've got it. And everything inside those setback lines is what we call the building footprint. You can build inside that footprint. So for those she sheds, for those hobby sheds, if you're not running electricity, not running power, no ceiling fans, no sinks, uh, no toilets, uh, no living conveniences, uh, 200 square feet and under, regardless of the building material, and you're going to be all set. Now, let me just say, that's from Mr. Gallant, who's been with the city of Scottsdale for 25 years. You ought to take the time to phone the building department that has jurisdiction in your neighborhood and just verify. I, I have found that most of the cities fall pretty close to this. But with a visit to the assessor's map, and, and boy, once you get on that website, that's a rabbit hole, man. You could just stay in there forever. There's drawing tools in there and satellite map images. and I mean, You can stay in there and play around for a long, long time. But once you've got that information, once you've got the building envelope and the setbacks determined, you can have a ball. And then you can start planning that shed. I actually have a customer in the Scottsdale area that says, Rosie, uh, we've, got, we've got enough room on our lot. I want a he shed. She wants a she shed. Hers is a sunrise viewing pergola. Mine's a sunset viewing pergola. Can I do two? And again, Mr. Steve Gallant, City of Scottsdale, says there's no limit to the number of these structures that you can put in your backyard. So check with your local building department, keep it under 200 square foot, no permit required, don't violate the setbacks, don't upset your neighbor, there's no reason to do that, and proceed with caution and go ahead and get her done. What could be better than a backyard with a sunrise and a sunset pergola? Time for our weekly to-do. It's something we do in the third segment of the 10 o'clock hour every week. Designed to tackle one area of maintenance or improvement on your home, castle, or cabin. Figure if we can stay on top of it and do a weekly task, nothing will pile up uh, and extend. You know, one honeydew is a lot easier than five honeydews, 20 honeydews, or 30 honeydews. And something we see often in trying to help homeowners get ahead of is at the time they go to sell their home, they do all these improvements and they say, gosh, I wish we'd have done this while we were still living here. How much nicer would have this been? How much more would we have enjoyed it? You know, maintaining the, the goal and home ownership is that uh, you could sell your house 
at the drop of a hat without any improvements. I mean, that I, I am a long, long, long way from that. But that is the goal. And when you live in that well-maintained of a home and you can be prepared to move that fast if you should you ever need to, a lot of things happen. One, you get to take advantage of all the equity that uh, your home has accumulated over the time of ownership that you've been there. Uh, number two, you don't have to uh, worry about you, most other homes in your neighborhood probably aren't that well maintained. So if you've got a buyer who really has honed in on your location and your neighborhood and you've got that well of a maintained home, you've got a huge competitive advantage over anyone else in your area that might be selling the home at the same time. And number three, you know, it's just uh, that quality of lifestyle, not having to constantly be, ah, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, I'll put it off. And letting these things accumulate, you know, the the quality of life that that well-maintained home can bring you, well, that's your, that's your goal. And so we bring you a weekly to-do, whether it's a maintenance item or an improvement item. And this week, it's more of an improvement item. And it talks about switching your electrical outlets to dimmers. Most time, we do encourage electrical work to be done by a licensed electrician. Uh, Dimmers, switching out an outlet, that one, believe it, you know, that one, that one, I I can tackle that. I, I can change an electrical outlet. I just, I don't worry about necessarily killing the circuit at the panel to whatever, you know, light fixture that is. Let's say I'm working on the kitchen. You know, so you go into your electrical box and you identify, you know, where your kitchen is. I just go to the top and turn the whole circuit panel off. Your microphone's not on. I just shut the whole thing off. (laughs) Next one. There you go. We're pressing buttons here. There you go. I... I'm reminded when I had my house in Louisiana, uh, uh, I was uh, working on pulling a ceiling fan down from the ceiling. And I turned the switch off, but didn't think about turning the breaker off. And my mom is sitting there. So I'm like going, oh, gosh. (laughs) As I pulled it down, this spark flew out. My mom goes, I'll go make some sandwiches. I said, that's a good idea. (laughs) Was it a mufalala? Uh, Actually, it was. Nice. From Rouse's. Good stuff. The only time I've heard Rosie scream like a girl, he was trying to do electricity. <laughs> I had a friend over in the living room, and he was in the kitchen working under the sink on the disposal. <laughs> and he's like, I go in there, he's kind of like sprawled out, you know. Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> so he never, you know, you'll notice in the article if you have it, we did not put the DIY steps in there. So you'll have to find those on your own. But, of course, the first thing you would do would be to turn off the breaker with any electrical work. But that being said, this the, this hashtag is one of those where it's, a, it's, it's an improvement. What I really like about the hashtag, Romy, is like you said, it's either – you know, a maintenance thing. And it's just so freeing not to walk home, get home, close the garage door, and you think, oh, I got all this stuff to do. But you can just walk in and enjoy your, your place. And then there's also the little improvements that you can do. And you think, why didn't I do this before? It was so easy. And changing out your dimmers really is one of the easiest ways for home improvement, just one of the little things you can do to make life more enjoyable. Changing that dimmer can be, um, for one thing, it saves energy because you don't have your lights cranked up all the way all the time. Um, so saving energy is one 
way, especially if you have a newer dimmer. Some of the older dimmers, that's not so much the case, but the newer dimmers will regu actually regulate the electricity and keep you from using full bore. And you very rarely need your lights on at full bore. It's a... Um... Your eyes get tired when they're full bore. You just don't need that, yeah, unless you have a task or something. Um, and then increased safety is another reason to put in a dimmer, especially if you put in a dimmer with a timer. You know, um, we'll get into it a little deeper, but um, to have uh, your lights come on in your driveway before you get home or to have a room of the house where the light comes on right before you get up and it's still dark in the wintertime, all those things are kind of safety features that you can gain by using a dimmer. And then sleep. Now that one, though, you said a dimmer with a timer. That's you know not any standard dimmer that just regulates the light has a timer on. No, you would have to buy one specifically with, um, and you can get those in a couple different ways, and we'll get to that. And then also, it's good for your sleep. So if you have a dimmer, you can turn those lights down before bedtime because you know our rhythms are really being upset by all this time in front of the computers and all the constant barrage of of light. So. There's three good reasons to have a dimmer. Really, to put in a di to buy a dimmer is like twenty five bucks, twenty five to thirty five bucks. And um, the guys really like this brand. Uh, what is it called? Lutron. 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 Mm -hmm. Because it's you know, for one thing, there's new companies that come on the market all the time. And speaking to Bruce Stumbo from Rosie Wright, he was just saying, you know, we buy Lutron because we know they're going to be there. They're going to upgrade and keep adding new products, and they're going to keep the same colors. So if you, you know, if you've bought your whole house full of one color, you can go back and get that same color. He said, you know, like everything else, there's not just white. There's almond, dark almond, light almond, all that stuff. So it's nice to keep that consistency throughout your house. And when you put in a dimmer, so if you're doing a hardwired dimmer, you know, right there at the at your switch, um, you can get different kinds of um, ways to control. One's like a dial. That's what we have. Those are kind of nice. You just dial it down right where you want it. You can get a little toggle slider like that, or you can get um, a rocker. That's the kind you just bump back and forth. So those are nice, too. But if you're like a third of the population that has Internet, you have decided you like the smart home features. And um, I have not really been a fan yet. I haven't really bought into the whole smart home idea. And you know what I found out this morning, Romy, or this week in researching this, is you really have to know your stuff to get to get started with this because there's, um, you know, there's Wi-Fi, there's Bluetooth, there's Z-Wave, there's Zigbee, there's all this different stuff. And you have to know things that are compatible. So I am not versed in this, but I can tell you, if you're going to go this way, if you want a smart home, you're going to have to pay attention to the types of light bulbs. Um, you know, um, we get um, questions a lot of times, hey, I just put in a dimmer and my my lights are shaking, you know, um, flickering. What is that? Well, they're not compatible. So you have to make sure that the bulbs you have go with the dimmers you want and that they're um, dimmable. And then also, um, if you get these smart these um, smart apps, you know, the smart appliance, the smart, what do you call that, plate, <laughs> smart <laughs> systems, you're going to need it. You're going to maybe want to do it from your phone. So you need to download an app, and that's one way to do it. So for me, I don't want my kids or my, or my family with their face in their phone for one more reason. But So that's one way to do it. But you can also, if you're into the Alexa and sort of thing, you can also, that's the next step. Hey, Alexa, dim the lights. Uh, Alexa, turn. I don't know how you tell her how much. I don't know how that works. <laughs> dim them a little, please, you know. But if you're going to go the smart home route, you need to know what system you want. 
what it's compatible with, and then you also need to think about security. Because, you know, if you don't buy something with a password, you're putting your whole um, self at risk. So be sure you get something with a password. Now, and I don't have a lot of smart home applications in our home either, but what I do use is our Rosie on the House Home Zada app. You can go to rosieonthehouse.com slash app. If you don't already have an account, you can create one. Register your property address. That information is not saved. It is done through a third party. And if you are a premium user, uh, you know, your basic user is free, and that opens up your home inventory uh you can have a, a backup record of everything in your home for uh, insurance and, and fire, flood, hazard. Uh, you know, it, it's a great way to back all that up. The premium user is $5 a month uh, or $60 a year, and it, you can log all of these maintenance tasks in it. Well, this one, I wouldn't put this in a maintenance. I would put this in the project, and you can put it when you create a project. You can create it as a wish list, an in-progress a complete or uh, or canceled, and it lets you put in all the details. You can put in different estimates. You can put in different. If there's a, a certain style you saw, you can save that file there, and you can schedule you know your start date, your end date. Uh, so I, w- I would put this more as a project because it's not like anybody's going to have dimmers on hand. And then you like I said, it'll you can schedule that end date, and it'll help keep you reminders. Hey, this is still. Uh, pending, do you want to complete it, uh, or do you want to cancel it? And you can upload pictures in there as well, so you could just take a picture of the box. I mean, how many sure. times do you throw it all away and you think, oh, I wish I'd have saved that, or it's time to go replace it, and you go, I don't even remember what it's called or where I got it or anything. So it's really nice to have that backup that's, file system. That's an extremely handy thing, and what I do is uh, I'll take a picture of it, like our garbage disposal when I had to replace it. You can upload it on your app or your, your smartphone, I just took a picture of it from the app so it didn't even use up memory on my phone of the box and the garbage disposal and saved it. That way, if it ever breaks again, well, you know, I don't have to be the one that goes and gets it. You know, Amanda can open it up on her phone at Central and say, hey, here's what, uh, you know, give me another one of these. Uh, but it's a it's a Badger brand, so hopefully we don't need to replace it for another eight or ten years. And I will say another con to smart home apps is sometimes it limits how many people can be on the app controlling one appliance at a time. So for example, uh, my husband and I's TV is a smart TV and the app that you use to control it can only have one person being in control at a time. So when I'm watching TV (laughs) at home by myself and he's at work, I have to text him, can you turn it down like three or can you turn it up? So sometimes it can be a hassle that way. But another thing with HomeZada is there can be more than one person controlling the home. So you can't just go turn the TV up manually yourself? It doesn't have any buttons on the side, and it didn't come with a remote. It's supposed to be a smart TV. So. (laughs) Hmm. We've art-smarted ourselves. (laughs) So, all right. So that is our weekly to-do. That one's, like I said, more of an upgrade for... for your home, castle, or cabin. And you can find those at rosieonthehouse.com. On the homepage, we have what we call the quick links, and it is all the featured topics and uh, to-dos, whether from from our 8 o'clock hour all the way through our 10 o'clock hour uh, on the right-hand side when you log in.
winding down. This is our final segment of our 10 o'clock hour, our on the house, our open home hour. Open lines, open phones. And I apologize. We generally try and uh, get back to everybody pretty quickly, pretty efficiently. Our text, I mean, we're, we're still getting stuff date stamped over an hour and a half ago that's trickling in. So I, it's not going to be a great, reliable source of communication for today. Switch that to the info account, info at rosyonthehouse.com. Hopefully that'll be fixed for next week, but we'll try and log in over the couple times over the uh, rest of the day and try and determine, you know, the text platform is something that's provided by our the flagship station, uh, KTAR, and is only supposed to be used during your broadcast. Uh, but we'll probably have to come on a few times in the afternoon and determine, all right, was it, were they asking a home improvement question and uh, <laughs> get, get their answer that way. So we'll just, you know, hey, technology is not perfect and sometimes you just got to roll with it. So That's for sure. There is uh, one of the articles I clipped this week. It talks about why metal costs more and why you should consider it, speaking specifically to roofing. And you don't uh, see a lot of metal roofing in Arizona. I don't know if it's just because our uh, temperatures are so hot that it's just such a, a pain to, to put on during during the heat of the day, even in... You know, days like today, not so bad. We got an overcast and it's, but even on a a 70 degree day, that metal can be warm. And you might think that that would reflect heat into your, or, you know, radiate heat into your home, but it actually doesn't. It helps reflect it off. And part of the way it does that is metal roofing doesn't go directly onto your deck, your roof, whatever your roof deck is, is plywood, uh, OSB, whatever the builder used. It, uh, so you have your roof deck down, then you have your waterproofing membrane, which is your black felt paper that's rolled out, generally speaking. Then you have wood strips that are nailed on. So the metal actually, you screw it on to this metal, the, uh, the wood riser. So there's a gap between your wood plank deck roof and the metal roof that allows air to flow through there and hot air rises mm. and on a peaked roof, you know, so it, it, it allows for a natural passive air constantly circulating and moving air to the peak of your roof and exhausting out. So that space between the metal roof and your roof deck is a huge uh, outsolation for your roof that really helps lower the temperature inside your home and that passive airflow that's happening outside and outside your attic as well as inside your attic uh, helps keep that air moving and keeps the, the top of your home cool, which calculates into you know less radiant heat absorbed into the home. And they last a lot longer. But here's why. You don't see a lot of them. You know, we're always trying to control cost. And when I built my home, and this goes back, oh, 18 years now, I think. Wow. I tried to do as much of it myself as I could. I could pay our roofing partner to put on a 50-year asphalt tab roof for less than I could buy the metal material to install it myself. So cost is the key. <laughs> I do like the look of them. Do, you, do they pop or make any kind of noise, you know, with the heat and the heats and cools? Is there any it kind shouldn't. Of- installed right, you should not have any kind of, of popping. There, It's not under any 
uh, you know, str- stretch. Like restrictions, yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. And there's all kinds of different styles in, uh, that you can get it printed. Generally, uh, they probably do have a number of preset, but a lot of times it's just big rolls. And then you go there and you pick out which pattern you want, and then they cut and stamp it to whatever style you want. And, uh, you know, uh, red's a great color, green's a great color uh, for the desert that I personally enjoy. Um, and there's a number of different steel locations. Uh, suppliers that you can go to and order it Uh, but again when you or if you're looking to have that done professionally most contractors whether it's roofers tile guys painters they want to buy the product that they're installing themselves because they know the quality control and they generally get a better buy as well generally what what the contractor's buying it for is not what they're selling it for you at retail as well and flooring is, is one of the hardest like People will call and say, hey, I bought this great bamboo flooring. Well, you know, we don't know where it came from. We don't know how long it's been in a shipping container. We don't know, well, you know, the climate control of the product that's coming in. And the homeowner, generally speaking, if they pay to have someone install it and something goes wrong, well, if it's a product failure, they still want the installer to be responsible for it. Well, you, you you can't hold them responsible for product failure that you purchased. We get a lot of calls on that, and people just don't understand. My heart kind of falls when they say, I bought all this stuff, and then they can't get it installed. Metal roofs have an advantage for the rim country and also in, in Flagstaff when it comes to snow. Mm. True or false? I mean, would the snow actually melt quicker to stay off the roof, a metal roof? Or is that... We will have to call our Prescott roofing partner, Let's do and that. We'll, we'll answer it. Uh, my initial thought would be, depends on how sticky the snow is, mm-hmm. how wet it is, and how fast it's falling. Uh, I would definitely think in melt-off, you would have a huge advantage when uh, the temperatures heat up, and yep. it, it would melt mm-hmm. off and run off a lot quicker. But would it shed it as it's falling? Uh, it probably depends on how fast and how wet the snow mm-hmm. is. Okay. Let's get in touch with them. That's a good question. <laughs> That'll be our follow-up that'll start the 10 o'clock hour next Saturday. If you've got questions about your home castle or cabin between now and then, one 767 4348 That number gets forwarded back to the office that we answer during the week. Or, of course, our website, 24-7, rosieonthehouse.com. That's R-O-S-I-E, onthehouse.com. And if you follow along in our home maintenance calendar... Next week coming up will be the third Saturday of the month, so our outdoor living hour. We'll get kicked off with Jay Harper, notes from the nursery, talking fruit trees and citrus. Our 10 o'clock hour, we'll be talking about a place for everything and our weekly to-do upgrade. And our open, our on-the-house hour, we'll, we'll continue our theme on interiors. 